0: Alpha everyone, glad you are all here, glad that you made it back, I hear a lot of people are still on the west side, so that's exciting. Um, If we haven't met yet, my name is Meredith, and I get the privilege of co-directing this ministry with my wonderful husband, Brandon, he was, yep, he's great, Um, he was one who did the announcement for a discipleship class, if you're not sure who I'm talking about, um, but I've got to tell you guys, it is just so good to be here with you after break. Um, it was great to see family, but man, I like miss you all when we're gone. So I'm glad to be back. Did you all have a good break? Give me like a nod. Yeah, yeah. Okay, good. I'm glad. Yeah, Britt and I had a really fun time too. Um, I feel like honestly we kind of traversed like all over Washington during break. We were up in Spokane for a little bit visiting some friends and then we drove down to Vancouver to be with my family. And then after that, we drove all the way up to, like, Bellingham to see his family. So we were just kind of all over the place. But it was really fun. Um, We also have a new joke as a family that apparently we're really bad at picking travel days. Um, So I don't know if you guys remember last year, the day it snowed a ton on the west side. They were calling it, like, Snowmageddon 2.0 or something like that. So on that day last year, Brandon and I were in Gig Harbor, and we decided... Yep, there we go, Gig Harbor. It's far away. Um, we decided to try and drive back to Ellensburg that day, and it took us like nine hours or something. Yeah, bad bad choices. Um, and so then this year, the day after Christmas, we were headed up to see his family, so we drove from Vancouver up to Linden, the day that it like dumped snow and it took us like seven hours and there's like cars that were like spinning out in front of us and like going off and we're like oh gosh this is so stressful um but we made it but don't ever ask us for like travel advice if you're like wondering if you should go somewhere don't ask me and Brandon because clearly we uh, are not good at that but it was a great break and um really fun to see family So I'm really excited to get to start off our message series this quarter. Um, If you guys aren't aware yet, we have an awesome staff team here with Chi Alpha, and all of us take turns teaching throughout the quarter. And so you'll get to hear from like a lot of different people this quarter, but I get to kick us off tonight. So do you want to know what we are studying? Yeah? Hey, someone knows already. (laughs) We are studying, oh look, there it is. (laughs) Wow, okay, you slide people are on it. Um, (laughs) We are studying the book of 1 Peter. Um, So I think it's going to be awesome. It's going to be a timely book for us to study um, with everything that's going on in the world as well. So did you guys know that any time we study a book of the Bible, it's really important to first look at the context in which that book was written in. So you want to ask questions like, who wrote this book? Who were they writing to? Why did they write it? What genre is it? Um, things like that. So we're going to start out by looking at that a little bit today, but that's also just a tip for you and like your personal time with the Lord. Like before you uh, start reading a book of the Bible, just do some research into the context. Um, Look up some things about the book and figure out who wrote it and what it is. Um, A resource I really enjoy using is called the Bible Project. So if you just go to like YouTube and type in the Bible Project and then the book of the Bible that you want to study, they have really great overviews of the books that can be really helpful. So I'd Highly recommend that. Also, just as a reminder, uh, here at Catholic, we have a note taking culture. Um, and so if you have a notebook or a piece of paper or a pen, I'd encourage you grab that right now. You could even use your phone. I don't know about you guys, but um, I'm not good at remembering things. If I just hear them, I need to like write them down and then I can actually go back to them. So I'd really encourage you, like take some notes. And that way, if the Lord speaks to you, you can go back and revisit that later on. So with that, um, let's talk about the context of 1 Peter. So who wrote 1 Peter? It's a pretty easy answer. His name was Peter. (laughs) Um, There's some question as to whether Peter had some help from one of his coworkers, but most people agree that the main content of this book came from the disciple Peter himself. So who was Peter exactly? Peter started out as just a normal guy. He was actually a fisherman. Um, he worked for his family uh, fishing company back in the day, and then one t- one day Jesus came along and called him to come and follow him. And he- Peter left his business and he went to be a disciple of Jesus. And from that moment on, Peter was someone who lived his life with Jesus. Peter followed him everywhere he went, he heard his teaching, he ate meals with him, he witnessed him do miracle after miracle after miracle, healing people, casting out demons. He was able to ask him follow-up questions, so like Jesus would go and teach to the big crowds, and then Peter was like in that inner circle who could like actually go and say, hey Jesus, like explain this more, what did this mean? Jesus himself called Peter one of his closest friends and said that he was going to be foundational to the formation of the church. After Jesus um, died and resurrected and ascended back to heaven, Peter went on to tell thousands and thousands of people about who Jesus was and what he had done. And when Peter couldn't be there in person to tell people about Jesus, he wrote letters, which is how we have the letter of First Peter. So who exactly is Peter writing this letter to, and why did he feel the need to write it? Um, well, to answer that question, go ahead and grab your Bibles. Uh, we're going to need those. If you don't have a Bible tonight, we would actually love to give you one. Um, so if I can get my Bible pastors to come forward. If you would like a Bible and you don't have one, just raise your hand right now. Um, and that's just our free gift to you guys. So we want to make sure everyone, everyone has a copy. So we're going to look at First Peter, uh, 1, one to two. First Peter chapter 1, verses 1 to 2. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 to 2. It says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood, grace, and peace be yours in abundance. So right away, we learn a couple of different things from this greeting about who Peter is writing to. Um, so first of all, we see um, that Peter is writing to people who are already following Jesus. So how do we know that? Um, well, if you look, he says that he is writing to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces. Um, and that exiles—that word exiles is actually referring to Christians. Okay? Um, as followers of Jesus, we know that while we live in this world right now, Our true identity and citizenship is with the kingdom of God. So Jesus is our Lord and King, not anything or anyone from this world. And that is what Peter is referring to. So the exiles he speaks of are Christ followers, exiled on this earth before being reunited with Jesus. Does that make sense? Yeah, so basically these are people who are followers of Jesus. And we also learn right away, um, based off of the provinces that are listed there, and the the historical context of this, that these believers were experiencing real suffering and persecution. Have you guys ever heard of the Roman Emperor Nero before? Anyone? A couple of you? Yeah. So most likely, uh, we've probably studied him at some point in high school or a college class or something like that. But the most memorable story about Nero is a really tragic one. Nero was someone who hated Christians so much that he would capture them he would tie them to a stake around the city, pour oil over them, and light them on fire to use as street lamps around the city. And this is the type of persecution that these believers were enduring. Um, scholars who uh, studied biblical texts um, believe that these, these people that Peter is writing to either lived right before Nero's reign or like during it. Um, and so you can imagine the the type of persecution and the fear that they were living with in this time. There were Christians who risked everything they had to follow Jesus. And so, as we read this letter from First Pe- or from Peter, it is important for us to understand that this is the context that these people were living in. Okay, they were living in a world where their neighbors hated them for what they believed. They were living in a world where they didn't know, like, if they went to worship God, if that was going to be the last time they would get to worship him, because maybe someone was going to come and kill them. And I wonder if even opening Peter's letter, when they got that, I wonder if even opening that was a risk for them. I can't even mentally comprehend a life like that, right? And that also poses the question, if if our lives today as Americans living here with so much religious freedom, um, are so different from their lives. Why are we studying First Peter? <laughs> How is that relevant to us today? Well, I think that although we might not live in fear for our lives every single day, we can probably all agree that our world is far from perfect, right? Have you guys noticed that the world we live in is pretty messed up? On a large scale, um, we deal with things like terrorism, hunger, malnutrition, poverty, natural disasters, the pandemic. On an individual level, we deal with family issues and divorce and depression and anxiety. We suffer loss and grief. Suffering and trials are all around us every single day, and I'd be willing to bet that almost every person in this room is struggling with something right now. Whether it's big or small, you can probably think of something right now that you wish was not part of your life or that you wish was different. When I think about these things, it makes me ask the question, why does suffering happen? How should we respond, and how do we have hope in the midst of it all? Why does suffering happen, how should we respond, and how do we have hope in the midst of it all? So that's what we're going to be talking about this quarter as we go through the book of 1 Peter. It's going to be a major theme. Um, How do we respond to suffering and how do we have hope? And tonight, specifically, we're going to be looking at the text 1 um, Peter chapter 1, verses 3-12. to 12. But first, go ahead and pray with me. Lord Jesus, um, I just want to invite you here right now, God. Thank you so much for bringing us back after break, Lord. Thank you for safe travels. Thank you for um, just all the good stuff you did over break. And um, whether our breaks were awesome or hard, Lord, I pray that you would uh, be with us tonight pray that you would speak to every single person here, Jesus, and we just invite your spirit to be here, God. In your name we pray, amen. All right, so go ahead and open your Bibles um, to 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 12. It says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead Concerning the salvation, the prophets, who spoke of the grace that was to come to you, searched intently and with greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of the things that have now been told to you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things." So when I first read this passage, uh, one of the main things that stands out to me is how Peter's words seem to kind of contradict the situation that these believers were in. Okay, he starts out in verse three, praise be to God. And then in verse six, he says, you greatly rejoice. And verse eight talks about inexpressible and glorious joy. And the entire tone of this passage is one of, like, hope and joy and thankfulness. And it's like, hey, uh, Peter, do you know who you're writing to? Like, do you know what these people are going through? But I believe Peter is actually very aware of their situation and is purposely making a point. I think Peter is speaking to the question, how is it possible to have hope even in the midst of suffering? How is it possible for his readers to have hope while they're being persecuted and killed? And how is it possible for us today to have hope when we face significant challenges in our own lives? So I think there's two answers to that question in this passage that I want us to take a look at today. And the first answer to that question is that the foundation of our hope is Jesus. The foundation of our hope is Jesus. So what do I mean by that? Well, I think in life, there's a lot of different things we can try to put our hope in. For the believers Peter was writing to, I can imagine that they might want to put their hope in like a change of government leadership, right? Like, man, if we could just get someone else in here who loves us, who thinks Christians are great, then like, then things would be better. Or maybe if we could like flee the country or escape or someone would come to rescue us. Maybe we put our hope in those things. You know, for us today, depending on our circumstance, maybe we put our hope in another person or a friendship. Maybe we put our hope in a degree or a job that we'd like to get or a medical cure or a million other different things. And all these things aren't bad, but I think Peter is making the point that these can't be the foundation of our hope. They can't be the foundation because what if those things don't come through? What happens when they don't come through? Because they definitely won't always. Peter is saying that we need something way more reliable to put our hope in. So look again uh, quickly with me at verses 3 to 6. It says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, Who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. So why could they rejoice in the midst of suffering? Why could they have hope? Well, they have hope because they can look forward to spending eternity with an all-powerful, loving, compassionate God. Imagine reading this as one of those Christians back then. You know, Peter is saying, yes, guys, yes, things are bad now. I'm not denying that. Things are bad. There's no guarantee that it's going to get better. Those words in verse 6 that say a little while, that pretty much means the entirety of life, okay? Peter is saying that life is hard. We live in a sinful, broken world. The devil's in control of this world right now. Things are not as God intended them to be. But he goes on to say that beyond all of that, we can have hope because of Jesus and what he has done. In verse 3, it says, his great mercy." in his great mercy, he gave you new birth. Or in other words, we can be hopeful because our life, our future, and our eternity does not depend on our performance or how good we are. It doesn't depend on what happens to us or how many opportunities we get in this life. Our, life depend our, our, our hope comes from the security that we have because of what Jesus did on the cross. And did you guys know the same thing is true for us today? Did you know that no matter what your curr- current circumstances, no matter what you're facing or how hard things seem, we today can have hope because of Jesus as well? I think a lot of times it's really easy for me to get short-sighted um, and try and find hope in things besides Jesus. I know for me it's easy to try and put hope in things that are, like, happening right now. Um, so, like, for <laughs> for one thing, I, I get really caught up in, like, you know, what is my living situation going to be? we have been trying to find a house. Like, where, where are we going to live? If we could just find a house, then there'd be hope. Then there'd be, like, things that would be better. Um, or there's been like some family issues recently and I get caught up in like, well, what if my like family issues could get resolved, then maybe there would be hope and things would be better. Um, or what, like maybe work is stressful, like if that could just be better, then there's hope. You know, maybe for you, you get caught up in how much homework you have or the job that you're going to get after you graduate. If you could just get that job, then that that would provide hope. Or if you could get the grade or if you could meet someone to date and marry one day, then there would be hope in your life. I think there's all sorts of things that are c- that our brains can fixate on um, and they can seem huge and sometimes are huge in the moment. But the point that Peter is making is that when we have a proper view of eternity, when we realize how beyond incredible Jesus is and that we get to spend forever with him, that is the foundation of our hope. In Romans 8:18 it says I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. So we have hope, not because of what we're going through right now is insignificant or small, but because what we have to look forward to is so glorious that it outweighs our present circumstances. So tonight I want to ask you guys, are you aware of the hope that you have in Jesus? Do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that he loves you so much, that he forgave you, and that if you choose to follow him, you can be with him forever? Is that something that you can rest in right now? Or do you struggle with looking for hope in temporary things? I know that's like a real struggle for me. Like, I, I, it's hard for me not to fixate on temporary, quick things. You know, grades, friends, jobs, comfort. Where are you putting your hope today? I want to really encourage you to to think about that and wrestle with that. So the second answer to the question of how is it possible to hope in suffering is that suffering isn't meaningless. Okay, suffering isn't meaningless. If I'm being totally honest with you guys, um, one of the biggest questions I've wrestled with this year is why does God let such challenging things happen to his people? Why, when people are trying their hardest to follow God, do they still experience suffering and trials? This year alone, I've watched so many people go through so many hard things. You know, I've had people in my life who've gotten so sick that they've nearly died. Um, I've had friends who have lost jobs. I've had other people who have had struggles with, with friendships and coworkers. Um, and I think probably a lot of us can relate to that just because it's been it's been a really challenging year. And it has made me honestly ask why a lot. Have you guys ever wondered that? Yeah. Now, I don't claim to have a perfect answer <laughs> to this giant question, um, and I don't think our text today is actually, like, a comprehensive, like, overview of why there is suffering in the world. But I do think if we lor- look at verses 6 and 7, they give us a piece of the puzzle of why God allows his people to endure hardship. Okay, so look back in your Bibles with me at verse 6 and 7. They say, In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. So what is Peter saying here? Well, he's saying that when we go through trials, these actually serve to solidify our faith even more. Okay, so it says, These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus is revealed. Okay, so when life is easy, following Jesus is easy, Right? When we get what we want, when school is going great, when work is great, when our friends are awesome, and everyone's getting along, um, you know, when our family is doing well and thriving, following Jesus is a piece of cake. <laughs> it is not hard. It's fun and it's exciting, and we feel like blessed to use a really Christian word. Um, but what happens to our faith if we aren't blessed? What happens then? What happens when we? Don't get the job or pass the class or get the things that we want? What happens when really serious stuff happens? When our parents' marriage is struggling or when depression or anxiety gets so bad it feels like it's taking over your life? What happens when someone we love gets really sick? What happens then? Are we not blessed anymore? Is God not good anymore? When we go through trials, it forces us to stop and ask the question, why are we following Jesus? Do we follow Jesus because we think he's like a vending machine where we can pray and, all, and then uh, he answers it and we get, get what we want? Or do we follow Jesus because he is our king and that he is worthy to be followed? Because he is good and just and worthy of worship no matter what our circumstances are. Why do we follow Jesus? Because God never promises us an easy life. James 1 says to expect trials of all kinds. We live in a sinful, fallen, broken world. It's not going to be perfect. We are blessed because we have, and we have hope because Jesus died the death that we deserve. He took the penalty for every wrong thing we have ever done and ever will do, so that we can look forward to spending eternity with him. That is why we have hope. That is why we are blessed, not just because of the little things that he does. So why does God allow suffering? He allows suffering so that the foundation of our faith is solidified. Okay? Suffering isn't meaningless. It gets rid of all the little wrong reasons for following Jesus. Not that God doesn't want to provide blessings and, like, little things. He totally does that, too. I think when they're suffering it, it weeds out the reasons that are not correct in our hearts for following the Lord. So tonight in closing, I want to share a story about one of my very best friends. Um, She and I have been friends for about as long as I can remember. There's pictures of us when we're like really little kids at like age one or something sitting on a couch together and playing. And she's one of the most amazing people I know. She's just truly gifted in everything. Do you guys know those people who are like really good at everything and you're like, what? You can't spread it out. Um, (laughs) yeah. Um, so she's great. She, uh, she's really smart. We did like the SATs and ACTs together and it was always annoying because her scores were like way higher than mine. Um, she loves like singing and playing piano, backpacking, hiking. She's just like the all around kind of a person. Um, she's the person who like, she was working like three jobs and she still took time on the weekends to like meet with kids, um, who come from like disadvantaged homes and stuff. And so she's just, she's a really amazing, amazing woman. But let me tell you guys, her life the last few years has been so challenging. Like, so challenging to the point that I don't know how she's, like, handling it. Um, a few years ago, she lost her dream job. This was the job that she, like, worked for through college. She lost that. Um, at the same time, her mom was in a really bad accident where she lost a lot of mobility in one of her hands. Um, which, like, is really hard for anyone, but her mom's an incredible pianist, um, like one of the best piano players I've ever heard, and so that had, like, a huge effect on their family. On top of that, both of her younger sisters went through some pretty severe mental health issues. Um, that was really scary. And then her dad was diagnosed with early-onset Alzheimer's disease. And so the poor girl has gone through so many things just in the last couple of years, And what's been incredible to me as one of her best friends walking with her through all of this is that she really never loses hope, like ever. Even after all of this, she never has lost hope. Every single time I talk to her, her speech is filled with hope. She talks about her exciting plans for the future, how she's involved in her church's small group, how she loves her family, and how she loves the Lord so much. It makes me ask the question, how? How, after all of that, is this possible? How has she endured so much suffering and still has hope? Well, my friend is someone whose foundation of hope is Jesus. She knows him and she loves him with all of her heart. She's someone whose sight isn't fixed on the things of this life. She isn't following God for the stuff he can just give her now. But instead, she is focused on what Jesus did for her on the cross and what he continues to do for her all the way through eternity. So tonight, in closing, as I invite the worship team to come up, I want to ask you, can you relate with my friend? Do you know that when suffering comes, when hard things come, that your hope is going to be unshakable? I want you to really wrestle with the question tonight, what are you putting your hope in? Are you looking for material things in this world to put hope into? Or is your hope in Jesus and what he did on the cross and what he's done in eternity? So I want you to wrestle with those questions tonight. Ask the Lord to really show you um, where your heart is at with that. And also just ask the Lord to show you just how hopeful we can be because who he is and what he has done for us. So I'm going to go ahead and pray for us to close. Jesus, um, I'm just so thankful, Lord, for who you are. God, I'm so thankful that even with all, like, the struggles and the trials and the suffering in this world, we can have hope because, God, we know we get to spend eternity with you if we are followers of you, Jesus. Suffering isn't going to extend into eternity um, if we're following you, Jesus, and so thank you, God, for making a way to be with you forever. Lord, we love you so much. Um, We ask that you would help our hope and our foundation to be in you. Amen.